0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Generosity Freak Show. I'm your host, Brady Josephson, and today we are chatting with Matthew Sweezy. He's the Director of Market Strategy at Salesforce and the author of The Context Marketing Revolution by Harvard Business Press, and that's really where we're going to spend our time focused today. But Matt is also one of the leading minds on future marketing. He's got insights into consumer behavior. He's helping shape strategy for Fortune 500 companies. Uh, We talk a little bit about his award-winning podcast, The Electronic Propaganda Society. just such a sweet name. We had to talk about it. But in our conversation, we dig into this idea of context marketing and really why it's a revolution, what it is in the first place. Uh, Matt gives some examples of brands and organizations that are putting this into practice. He talks about uh, five different components of creating a great customer experience. Um, He gives a lot of different examples from brands and nonprofits that are really doing context marketing well and then even provide some tips and suggestions for you and me. Uh, I was writing them down as we went uh, to talk to more customers to really understand how it is that we can do context marketing well. So it's a really interesting conversation. He's really, really smart. Uh, And then we end the conversation talking about growing, improving, and optimizing generosity from his perspective as well. So a lot to look forward to. I hope you enjoy the episode, and thank you, as always, for listening. Hi Matt, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Hey man, thanks for having me.
0: So we're going to talk about your book, Context Marketing Revolution by Harvard Business Press. But before we get into the book itself and all the great stuff that you're going to share around uh, context and content marketing, I'd love to know what was your process like writing a book? You know, did you have this idea long ago? Did it like strike you like a lightning bolt? Like why did you decide to write this book and what did that look like?
1: Such a big question. I think everyone has the, the, yeah, wouldn't it be cool to write a book like thought some point in their lives? Um, especially those of us that are, you know, work on future forward topics. Um, but it really just kind of struck me as, you know, this is, um, I'm doing a lot of research and kind of came across some things that a lot of people needed to know about and working with a lot of brands. Um, you They have a lot of challenges uh, and I thought that this book would be able to help a lot of marketers make the cases internally to kind of make the changes that they're wanting to make. Um, You know, it's not easy to be a prophet in your own land. So, you know, one, I thought this would be a a good thing to do. Uh, Two, I thought it would be helpful. And three, like I wanted to write a book. But uh, but the process, (laughs) just four years of lots of research, writing and editing.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you create content all the time, right? So, you know, being able to go back through some of the content you've already created and, you know, pull from this, tweak from that, that must have helped a little bit.
1: Yeah. I mean, I do a lot of research, um, create a lot of content. um, And yeah, so pulled a lot from that, but there's just a whole lot of new stuff. Um, You know, the the book's just filled with a lot of new case studies, a lot of new information and data. Um, And a lot of it's pretty, pretty groundbreaking. So that's kind of why I was super excited to get it out.
0: Awesome. Well, let's let's get into the book. So, context marketing. Uh, you know, one of the arguments that that you end up making is that you know, in this time of extreme noise, uh, one of the ways to actually break through is to kind of use this real tactic of context marketing to motivate people to buy, or in our case, to donate. So, can you just unpack like what context marketing is and why you think it's so important now?
1: Yeah. So let's start from a macro level and kind of drill it on down. Um, So it's not that I'm just proposing in this book that we have a new idea of marketing, right? Mm. We're using a lot of deep research to actually say we've entered a new point in time based on media environments. And when we say that there's more noise, it's not just that there's more noise. um, It's that that noise comes from different players. It acts Mm. a different way. Um, So it's a completely new environment. So those old ideas that we have of marketing were created for a different environment. And we can't just simply bring them forward and apply this new word context to it. That's the whole point of why the, the word revolution is in the title, Context Marketing Revolution. Um, it requires a revolution in, in the idea, role, scope, and function of what marketing actually is. If you want to do a simple contrast to, to pre and post, right? The old foundation of marketing was attention, where we needed to break through, grab someone's attention, and then through such grand creative effort, we got somebody to take the motivation or the action that we wanted. Mm. Um, That had two impetuses. One is the creative focus of our marketing was attention-seeking. And two, Mm. that it could be so good, it could get anybody to do anything we wanted in one single step. Mm -hmm. Um, The reality is that one, now the foundation of media environments are context, right? They operate for the individuals. They no longer operate for brands and businesses. So how Mm. we break through um, is radically different. How consumers use the media and and what they trust via the media is radically different. Um, and then three, because they have infinite access to trusted answers, there is no such thing as an impulse purchase anymore. All decisions are considered um, and highly considered, um, even toothbrushes are considered. You know we see mm. the search term uh, best toothbrush rising hundred percent per year, mm. and those journeys last across four websites in seventy seconds mm. um, so it's you know radically different point in time. So what is context it's a simply saying let's rather than trying to break through with attention and a creative message. Let's focus on helping people accomplish their goal in a moment. Mm. By helping them accomplish that goal, we will build the trust with our brand, and then we can parlay that trust to guide them to the next steps towards the uh, on the journey. And that's how we drive motivation.
0: Gotcha. Thank you for that. Um, w- one of the words that you use there is, is trust, and I think that's a really you know interesting <laughs> one. Whereas also in the past we used to look to you know uh, brands and people in authority as like, well these are trustworthy figures. And one I think a lot of those uh, figures have the trust in them has maybe gone down, you know, institutions. And and then the trust of the crowd or trust of the peers has kind of, you know, gone up or at least that's the perception. Th- does that play a role in what we're talking about too is, you know, we used to have percent. to go to a big, a big known entity for answers and now like, we can just go to all kinds of different other sources to get answers. Yeah,
1: so I mean, you make a good point. It's, I think it's always been that way. I think we've always trusted mm. each other over brands. Um, mm. It's just in a limited media environment, who right. could create right, right, the right. media, who can control the media was brands. So we had no other recourse. Right. Um, now the highest value of the internet is, is direct personal interaction, right? We can create, distribute, engage um, in just radically new and better ways. And those ways are much more trusted because they're human to human. Um, it's one human engaging with another human, ratings, reviews, influencer marketing, advocacy marketing. So these are all human methods. Um, and that's one of the big aspects of if we want to build trust, we must realize that we must work with our marketplaces and help connect them together, not just create messages and force them on the marketplace and expect them to do what we tell them to
0: do. Yeah. No, that, that's really interesting. I mean, in our world, the charity worlds, right? It, it's always like, you know, can we get validation from GuideStar or validation from these, you know, watchdog entities. But it feels like we should, we are so far behind. Maybe we can like catch up and catch on to things like peer reviews. Cause that's actually the main way that people find out about other causes is like organizations that their friends are giving to, organizations yeah, I mean, that their just, friends are volunteering just, with. You know, yeah, the
1: giant elephant in the room, the ice bucket challenge, right? Like <laughs> you break that ice bucket challenge down into every aspect of authenticity, permission. These are, by the way, these are the elements of context, like a moment must have. Must be authentic, must be personal, must be permissioned. Uh, It must be uh, purposeful, Um, and my brain stopped. Um, But anyway,s there's five, right? And so we break that element. We break it down, and it had all five of those. And and the reason why it was so powerful is because it was shared from one human to another, right? We use the term virility, or it went viral, right? Like that was. But really, what it did is it was humans engaging with other humans in radically new ways, and that's why it was so successful. And it wasn't the creative effort per se; it was how people engaged with it with each other.
0: Well, let, let's talk, talk a little bit more about those five things. Available, permissioned, personal, authentic, and purposeful. Um, what, which of those do you think are like most relevant maybe for nonprofits or, uh, I mean, obviously they're all important, but do any kind of like leap out to you when you look at like causes and movements as kind of this is, you know, maybe more critical than others?
1: Yes. I mean, anytime you're working in this world, um, you know, authenticity is, is a massive factor. Mm. Um, so authentic, you know, we have to be as authentic as possible. And I think where people miss the boat is, you know, you've heard these words before, but the, the right. problem most people have with authenticity is the word authentic really references a relic of a past. Mm. But in the internet age and in this modern world, everything is new every moment. So how do we then create something that's a reference to the past? We don't need to think about authentic in those terms. We need to think about authentic in terms of does it meet the expectation a person has, hmm. right? And it just a couple of basic scenarios, right? We are trained to create marketing in terms of how do I create one thing to convert as many people as possible? Look at your basic email marketing methodology. Everyone listening uses email marketing, right? But now ask yourself, who's the best email marketer at your organization? And it is not your email marketing team. It is every individual with a Gmail account or an Outlook account. Their open rates from their personal email account is massively (laughs) higher than your brand's corporate email rate. Now, then go back and ask yourself this question as a consumer, right? How do you, as an individual, manage your email inbox every morning? Do you open the first email, start to scan the contents, decide if it's worthy, um, and then continue reading or delete it and work that way? Or do you do B, you scan all the subject lines, delete all the crap, and work on the rest? We all do be, right? I've asked this question all over the world. We do be, the reason why. And the, the bigger thing here is how are we so efficient at determining if an email is marketing spam or not? Mm-hmm. It would less than a hundred characters of data in a fraction of a second. And yeah. the answer is marketers make it so damn easy for us to find that information now because they write in conversion language, yeah. right? They try to say, I'm going to write this, this subject line to get you to open this email. They don't write like two humans talking to each other. Yeah. And that's what we must shift. Right, That's the point of context. It's shifting this idea from saying, how can I make something to convert people to how do I act like a human um, and connect other humans together?
0: Right, And the, the big irony, and we've proven this through our research time and time and time again, is that you actually do end up converting more people into the action that you want by taking that exact approach. We've run open tests. You get more opens. We've run click through tests. You get. We've run conversion tests. You get more conversion tests yeah. by writing more personally. Removing design, you have higher deliverability. You get like it. It does the things that you want it to do, but that's not why necessarily you do them. You know, like the result follows the process. The process is how do we be more human in terms of connecting, and it's it's really hard for organizations. We teach it all the time. I'm going to teach it next week here. And people really struggle with that because it's like, you know, we used to send from a CEO with our nice big branded logo, hero image, you know, marketing yeah. speak, sign off. And we're saying, you know, try something different. And there's so much pushback. So yeah. what, what are. Well, like,
1: and it's it's pushback. And this is a funny one, right? So we've, we've been talking about this for years. Um, and this is probably five years ago. I gave a speech about this. And the lady had been in one of my prior sessions and seen me speak before and and implemented this in her organization. And her boss walked in after she did it and held up an email that she had sent. And he says, why isn't our email as pretty as our competitors? Did not ask, <laughs> what was the engagement rate? Didn't right. ask, how this perform? <laughs> said, why isn't this as pretty, right? That's one of the big things that we have to get out mm. of our heads of this concept that marketing is a visual art. Yes, there is creative elements. And yes, right. we must be creative. But the new creative lens is, how do we understand what an individual's needs are? Mm. And how do we help them solve that need? Right, not how do I create the prettiest thing because the prettiest thing is going to win. It's not
0: right. right? So <laughs> right. Like, well, and, and there again, this is where like the the advantage of digital in being able to track and test things is like fine. Test for yourself. Make something really pretty and make something really human, and then just see how your people respond too. Like, why do we have to assume? Like we have the ability to see which is actually working and the human one will kind of work almost all the time. Um, so kind of going back to like brands and, you know, a lot of people are having a hard time with this and, you know, they're trapped in old ways of marketing. Um, what are some, some brands or some case studies that you found that are doing a really good job of, of context marketing and really adapting or, or taking this approach very seriously and, and putting it to work?
1: Yes, I mean, it's a wide range, right? You, you could do everything from Tesla, which has a completely different operating model where the role, scope, and function of marketing is actually radically different than anybody else in their industry. Uh, just simply compare them to Mercedes-Benz who follows the business model of they build a car, they then market that car, they then sell that car build, market, sell, right? Uh, And in that, they spend about $926 per car. And this is the C-class comparison to the Model 3. Um, And in 2017, they sold about 86,000 cars, right? Now, Tesla's underlying business model is market, sell, build, Market, right? Radically hmm. different organizational structure. Their advertising cost per vehicle sold under this structure is $6. That is one 150th of Mercedes Benz. Wow. They sold three times as many cars domestically in 2017. Asterix, the car didn't exist, right? (laughs) Um, And now they're the number one luxury car manufacturer because they work with their marketplace to have a conversation, right? To help them solve this need of radical innovation to get the world off of fossil fuels. They then work with the market to help bring the car to life. They get them to invest early. They then build the product. They then continue to have an amazing experience all the way Mm -hmm. through the entire buyer journey and owner's journey. Right. And you just ask anyone with a Tesla. right? That's a, that's a macro shift, right? That's what yeah. we would call a transformation. Most businesses are not going to get there because right. they, they didn't start yesterday, right? They're a hundred year old, 50 year old legacy problems. We look at legacy companies that are able to evolve. We see examples like Lego, right? So simple scenario, people were going to the website and they were having a hard time finding which thing to do. what, what which product do I buy for my individual? Right. Traditional marketing logic would say retargeting campaign. They came, they abandoned, we retarget them with the product they looked at. Right. Instead, they went contextual and said, what's the problem that they're trying to solve? How do we help them solve that? Hmm. Well, the problem is finding the best gift. So they created a bot, Ralph, the perfect gift buying bot. He was launched as an ad on Facebook, right, to anyone who had been to the website in the past 30, but not the past 14. And the creative element was to engage with Ralph to let him help you pick the best gift. Average conversation with Ralph, by the way, this all took place inside of Facebook Messenger, which is a whole other amazing thing in itself, right? right? Um, average conversation, three minutes. Average order size, twice of that on the website. And the wow. bot accounts for 25% of all online holiday sales in 2017. Wow. Brand, right? But it's, it's that focus of understanding what is the goal and the task and how do we yeah. help them accomplish that? Um, so those are a couple of examples on you know, radically different scales, industries, um, but in that, in that idea.
0: Yeah, no, that, that's awesome. And I think a lot of people listening will maybe say, like, hey, you know, I'm not Tesla. I'm not Lego. So, like, how does this apply to me and my, you know, small business or my startup or my nonprofit? Yeah. Um, and so, like, what are maybe some of the, the principles behind that, right? Yeah. Um, and Th- they should be pretty transferable. But do you want to, you know, take that a Super
1: transferable. Three simple words. With, <laughs> not, on right? How do we come up with ways to work with our marketplace, not on our marketplace, Hmm. right? If you're sitting in your room and you're saying, I need to come up with a new campaign and it's going to be creative and it's going to be designed to do this. And you have not started with talking to your customer and understand what is the need that they have in this moment. When I say need in this moment, there are lots of moments. Remember the example of a toothbrush has four steps in the buyer's journey of that toothbrush, right? We need to know every step where they are and what problems they have and how they're trying to solve them and then meet them in those moments in context, Mm -hmm. right? And so that's where we must start, right? And we then must carry through with with not on. We need to start thinking about ways that we can connect other people together, right? So really good example. If you're talking about reviews, right? Or questions, right? If someone asks a question, you don't have to be the one that answers it. Reach out to your advocates, your employees, your customers and have them answer it. So when the other person finds the answer, they find an answer from other humans, right? Once again, connecting humans together, human to Mm -hmm. human. Um, you know, Alquia did that. And, you know, what people found is now when they find the answer, they find the answer from 20 customers rather than the brand giving a branded response. Um, So we just need to think about ways to work with people, not on people. Uh, And, you know, you can get into specifics of, you know, a journey map and making sure you know what people are thinking, feeling and doing at each moment on that journey map. Um, You can get creative in ways to, you know, to use your community and leverage your community. But I I would focus on those three words, with not on.
0: No, I, I like that a lot. And obviously, there's, there's levels and levels and levels of, of depth in how you actually play this out. But, you know, the, the key thing that I think is, is standing out is obviously understanding um, the, the person's problem or what they're looking for. And I think people have a hard time with that with charitable giving because it's like, well, we need money. And it's like, okay, well, that's not, <laughs> that's not helping them solve a problem. And what we've found is the more and more that we go out with content offers, online courses, uh, an ebook, you know, um, tips to help your child you know when they're screaming uh delivering value through different types of content offers first increases the likelihood of them becoming a donor and increases their generosity because we've actually solved a bit of a problem and ideally they've seen some of the value of the type of work that the organization does and then they were much more likely to then you know um uh, reciprocate and actually become a donor so whether you actually take that approach or whether you take the approach of like donors don't exist to just give money into the world they exist to you know solve problems they exist to fund things that they care about they exist to live out their values and beliefs and yeah messages
1: Major point, right? Which is not everyone's going to be donating to you for the exact same reason, right? Once again, slice this down now by personas, right? Someone may be giving because they care about it because they have someone that's affected by this um, whatever in their world, mm. right? So it could be like, you know, direct connection to the cause. There could be a purely altruistic, right? I've got X amount of dollars. I don't know how to get rid of it. You can help me with that. Yeah. Um, very rare, probably that scenario. You know, there's someone, someone gives for a reason. Now, the trick is then how do we get them to give to us continuously? Right. And, you know, if we don't dial in as to why did they give us that money in the first place, it becomes very hard to do it again, right? So we need to make sure that we understand what value that they're seeking from that donation and then make sure that they get that value. Mm. You know, like it, it was, the, I think it was one of the greatest simple marketing ideas. Is you remember like the, you would donate and you would support a kid and they'd send you a picture of the kid and the kid would send you a letter every month, right? Like, that is Brilliant. That's the validation and <laughs> yeah. that's context marketing, right? And yeah. it's been done plenty of times before. It was totally not even digital, right? But it's, all right, the person is going to support someone. Um, now let's make sure that they have a connection to that individual and they continue the giving because they see the returns and the results, right? So it's, you know, all those ideas combined
0: yeah yeah a, a while ago I wrote a, a post on like the new international development movement and looked at high growth international development organizations like Watsi and Charity water and that that was the common thread amongst them is everyone looked at look at how cool their design was and look at how you know slick their website is and that that was nothing. That was just like you know icing on the cake. The fundamental thing is they said thirty dollars will help build a well in Uganda. you give them thirty dollars. Then they show you on a map the well that you're building in Uganda. It's just fulfilling its its promise, and nonprofits typically have a really, really hard time doing that. And that's why we have retention rates. First time doing a retention rate in our space is less than 20%.
1: So let's let's dig into that just real quickly, right? It's because when we think about marketing in those roles, we only think about it in the scope of how do I get more people to simply just give me money? How can I create a creative message to increase donations? Mm -hmm. We don't say, how do we create a better experience from start to finish? And by creating a better experience, we increase the actual goal that we're going after. Right. It's focusing on experience, not message, um, yeah. and that's the you know the major aspect. And these are all phenomenal experiences that we're talking about.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's and it's what's great too is when you see you know uh, through books like yours and research of different brands in different contexts, like Lego and Tesla and Cherry Water, like very different industries but similar rooted principles having success. Like that's yeah. that's great, you know. When you can yeah. triangulate and say, yeah, this isn't a one-off. This is really industry over industry, sector over sector, like these principles and ideas work, right?
1: Here's the most fascinating thing, right? So you talk about a lot of the research. So I'm one of the analysts on our state of marketing research report and over the past, and I think this is the fifth year we've looked at a total of 20,000 brands plus across the globe, every industry, every vertical, um, with the key goal of being able to identify what it makes a high-performing marketing organization and what separates them from everyone else. Hmm. The Number one key Trait of all high-performing marketing organizations is executive buy into a new idea of marketing, hmm. where they buy into a connected experience, and that's how they grow the business, not better marketing messages, right? So right. marketing is a new role, scope, and function, first and foremost. Um, then everything else flows from that.
0: Yeah, fascinating. I'm sure there's huge, huge parallels, too, within the nonprofit subset. We see that all the time with, di- with digital, which is still kind of foreign to a lot of you know, nonprofits is there's a lack of buy-in or a lack of understanding of the value. So then it kind of gets, you know, the intern handles it or it gets split off and then it's like, well, no wonder the online giving experience isn't so great. It doesn't have buy-in from you know, people up at the the top there. Um, I mean, we could probably go on for hours and hours and hours. I want to move on to to a couple other questions, but before we move on specifically from your book and context marketing, any like quick tips or suggestions for people listening that are like, oh my gosh, besides buy the book, but like what are some things that they can do to maybe uh, start practicing some of these principles, uh, you know, tomorrow, today?
1: Yeah, I think the easiest one is let's just, you know, tackle this one. How often do we actually talk to our customers in any way, shape, or form? right? Yeah. And, and this is one question I ask everyone. I was like, cool. All right, you make content. When was the last time you ever followed up with someone who engaged with your content to ask them what they thought of it? Yeah. I ask this question around the world, less than 1% of marketers have ever done this once. Wow. Right? Now, here's the data, right? 71% of people who engage with, your con- or who engage with content have been disappointed with the content they've engaged with to the extent that 25% of those people will never engage with you ever again. In a world of infinite content, we don't need you. I've got everyone else that's creating content too, right? So here's the problem. If we look at the download metric, the engagement metric, the watch metric, we say, hey, we did great. People watched it. But that's only half the story. If you don't follow up and ask them, did it meet their expectations? Hmm. You don't know if it was a good experience or not, right? So here's the simple thing. Just follow up with these experiences and ask three simple questions, where were you when you found this, right? So essentially we can identify the journey, where in the journey they come across this moment Two. did it meet your expectations? And then three, have you seen better, right? Do that. And all you need to do is really talk to about seven people. So dial 20 numbers and seven people you'll talk to them. It's about the basic mathematics and it takes about an hour and a half. And then you know where your experience is and how to improve it. But if we mm-hmm. don't do that, right, if we don't actually talk to people, um, that's the major problem. And then start thinking about ways of talking with people and bringing this feedback in more constantly, rather than you trying to be creative, you know, set up a group of people that are your customers and ask them and work with them, you know, come up with communities and leverage the communities and the advocates that you have Help your employees. You've got to be leveraging employees. If you put up a social post and only five people engage with it and you have more than five employees, you're doing something <laughs> pretty wrong.
0: Yeah. I love that first part. I was writing it down because I was like, I got to talk to some of our customers. (laughs) Uh, Because, you know, and and even if you do, like, surveys and things like that, it's useful. But there's no substitute for those, like, phone conversations where you can actually unpack it a little bit. I push
1: back heavy on surveys. Heavy. Because have you ever got done filling out a survey and being like, man, I'm really glad I did that? Yeah. you're having to think really yeah, hard. Yeah, I'm having the to think, is, yeah. The answer is no, we don't. We get inundated with surveys by so many people mm. and they are so, they, they don't even take, a really good example, my buddy had a kid, right? We all know how expensive it is to have a kid. They send him a 14-page Scantron, which is the bubble sheet. You remember when we took tests in high school and you had to fill in mm-hmm. the bubbles? That's Scantron, right? They sent him a 14-page Scantron survey as if he's going to take time after he just <laughs> gave them tens of thousands of dollars to have his kid. Right. But then fill up this 14-page survey. He bought a new car. Same thing, right? Yeah. They were ask, and the problem is, one, it's not a good experience for the individual. Mm-hmm. Two, you're not going to get very good data back. And three, what's the context of those conversations, right? If somebody writes words down, you don't have the conversation. You don't have the intuition to really get to the bottom of what the actual problem is, right? So you really all have, you, have, you have data, but I'm not going to say it's great data
0: no that's that's great um okay Mo- shifting gears quickly uh electronic propaganda society eh? a yeah. what, what a name i where did that name come from i but just can thought you share, it was fun yeah it's it's awesome uh just even saying it out loud sounds great uh can you share more about this project i'm not going to call it a podcast talk talk about this project
1: yeah, so I wanted to do something really radical, right? I wanted to help people push the bounds of what they can think about in content creation. Um, and I really wanted to test out the, the audio and the podcast format. Um, really liked Serial, so I decided to create a really radical nine-part mini-series looking at why is marketing failing and what do we need to do about it? Um, and because it's such a radical concept, um, I thought, you know, let's, let's play with radical stuff. And that's where I came up with the Electronic Propaganda Society.
0: That's cool. So if people want to, you know, check it out, what, what's kind of in store for them if they're going to go listen?
1: Yeah. So it's a nine part mini series. Each episode's about 20 minutes and it really kind of gets deep into really the fundamental aspects of where does marketing come from? Why do we have these beliefs and ideas? Why are they fundamentally flawed in this new era? Um, and what do we do about it? Um, so it really kind of gets into some pretty deep stuff. You'll hear interviews with everyone from Seth Godin all the way through to, you know, NYU professors. Um, it you know it's, it's a super radical listen um, and i promise you you will enjoy it
0: well i've got it marked down i may be driving from vancouver to texas in a few days or in a few yeah. months so uh, that's one way i'm going to kill some of the time so yeah uh, it, i mean it won like six creative
1: that. awards uh, last year when it came out so it, it's it's a super good listen
0: Awesome. Yeah, no, I'll be sure to check that out. We'll include it in the show notes. So one question for you, and we asked this of everyone, but I'd be interested in your take. Uh, how do you think we can grow, improve, and optimize generosity? Generosity?
1: Um, shit, that's a tough one, man. Like, how do we get people to be more generous? Um, yeah. I don't know. It, 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 The best, one of my favorite sayings is just be nice. Right. But I'm a Southerner. Um, I was raised like, I guess I should raise, right. You know, I guess everyone's (laughs) raised, right. But, um, you know, we're just giving to other people and, and that's just a core fundamental aspect of kind of how we operate. Um, so like, you know, we're generous by nature. Um, Hmm. but I think you know people just need to realize that we're all in this thing together, right? And I think that this crisis that's going on right now is a really solid reminder that we are all in everything together, Mm. right? And so if we can just remove my personal frustrations for a moment um, and say, hey, listen, there are other people in this world that, you know, need help just as much. Um, how do we get that message out to people? I don't know, smile more. I'll smile more. See, there no you worries.
0: go. Smile more. Well, I think the the thing that you're that I'm hearing too is just this this practice of empathy, right? Of just how can we step outside of ourselves and understand what other people are possibly going through. And the more that we empathize, it actually does lead to, to generosity. The more that I understand the situation that you're in, the more sure. likely I am to actually help and yep. care and give, right? And so I've always
1: thought travel is the number one thing for people to see that is once you can get outside your daily bubble and realize that, you know, the world isn't what you exactly thought and everyone's really the same and everyone has the same problems, but travel has taught me that really well.
0: Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good point. Uh, I grew up in like a small rural town in, in Alberta, but then I went to school in, in the kind of uh, north side of Chicago and it's just like completely changed a lot of who I am and what I believe, because those are very, very different experiences. And if you grow up in Strathmore, Alberta, and you don't, you know, venture outside, you know, too much, then of course, you'll have this type of view and this type of thinking. But if you don't, if you never get outside, you never have those views challenged, whether you change those views or not, it's always good to experience other things and have them challenged, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's a, that's a great point. All right. So where can people find out more about you, uh, your, your work and your book?
1: Yeah, so uh, you can find me on Twitter. It's M Sweezy. Read that real fast, and you'll realize I made a mistake. And I have the Miss Sweezy Twitter handle, um, or you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, it's Matthew with one T Sweezy S W E E Z E Y. Um, yeah, there you go.
0: Right. And uh, we'll be sure to, to send out those links as well. Well, thank you so much for taking time to kind of unpack some of these concepts. And thank you so much for writing the book. It's such an important concept and needed today more now than ever.
1: Hey, Norris, no thanks for having me on. And everyone that's listening in the nonprofit world, I'd like more power to you for doing good in the world. So thank you.
0: Hi again, this is Brady, and I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you'd like to listen to all future episodes or maybe go back and listen to some of our past episodes, you can do so by going to generosityfreakshow.com, or you can search The Generosity Freak Show on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, pretty much wherever you listen to your pods. And uh, if you have any questions or a suggested guest, or maybe you yourself would like to come on the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at podcast at nextafter.com. That's podcast at and if you want to find out more about this vision to unleash the most generous generation in the history of the world and what we're doing at Next After in terms of research, resources, and training, you can find out more at nextafter.com. That's nextafter.com. Thank you very much for listening. And finally, I have to say thank you to Nathan Hill, our producer and mixologist. This would not be possible without him. So thank you, Nathan. And thank you once again for listening.